We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Let's get back to football. Today, I've already released my top 200 rankings for the fantasy football season. You can find that in the description of this video and podcast, as you can with all of the previous fantasy football shows. We did an entire series on running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, and tight ends, player-by-player previews. But now it's time to dig specifically into the positions to talk about the rankings. So... Smash the like button to the video. In the comment section, you tell me the player I have the most incorrect in my rankings. And uh, that'd be great. Uh, also, rate and review the Pat Mayo experience. Five stars. The entire draft kit is down there as well, along with the rankings list. You can find all of that. Joining me, because he's the best at ranking in the biz, as we like to call it, or any biz they think they just call the biz. It's Jake Seeley from TheAthletic.com. What's going on, my man? Yeah, that's what's going on. Notice everybody paying attention. He said his rankings, the one that you hate on his the most, not mine. I know there's going to be plenty of hate for mine. You can just like go at all in kid on Twitter and just be like, your rankings nah, are yeah. shit, pal. <laughs> well, that. the good thing is I, f- I found that little Twitter secret where if they're not following you, you don't even see their tweets. So that eliminated a lot of that. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, it, if you want to get mad at Jake, remember to follow him first, then yell at him <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> What's the uh, athletic giveaway right now? Uh, it's not like really a giveaway. If you go to the bottom of one of my articles, it's 30 days free or it's 50% off. It's like 40%, 50% off. Right now, it's still 50% off. That's just what you want to go do. Just take advantage of that. So it's it should be at the bottom of any of my articles. Uh, my good pals, uh, Brad Evans and Jeff Radcliffe, they just launched a new site, Fade the Noise, ftnfantasy.com. They have rankings and tools up there. And they did tell me to tell you, because they were on the Top 200 show, that if you use promo code MAYO over at FTN Fantasy, you can get yourself a discount. So I highly recommend you go check them out. Jeff, 
in terms of like numbers, one of the best. Brad, kind of like me, probably don't want to listen to him. But hey, fun content. <laughs> I, when you said you, I thought you were specifically talking to me. Like they want me to tell you. No, you're <laughs> like, oh. you're a lot like Radcliffe yeah. in that you're good at rankings, and Brad's like me, where we're just like we're we're throwing out takes here. <laughs> just that's what it's won us for the takes. I, I did some bets or bet lines with him. You saw the one I mentioned about Minshew smashed the over on that one. I, I like that one. What was it? Twenty one and a half passing touchdowns. Is as twenty one, and then I said even if it's twenty one and a half, I, I would definitely. I think some of them are even at twenty and a half. Yeah, it's just one of these situations where it just doesn't seem like unless Minshew gets hurt, obviously. But right, no matter how poorly he plays, like who were they replacing him with? Like he's going to get sixteen games if he can't get to I'm, put this way. If he can't get to over twenty one and a half passing touchdowns in sixteen games, he's not in the league next year. Yeah, pretty much. I think the backup is now Mike Glennon, isn't it? Oh, I'm double checking. Yeah, Mike. They're not turning to Mike Glennon. <laughs> Although many teams have turned to Mike Glennon in the past, so secret bald Mike Glennon too. You think that he's like a young man, full head of hair? He takes off that helmet. Nope, he's basically Homer Simpson. Uh, also, my <laughs> funniest movies of the 2000s bracket. If that's your jam, that's up right now. Voting is open. If you follow me at the PME on Twitter, you can vote on that. Uh, Jake, when you see that tweet come out, you re- you retweet it. All right, and you vote. I, I definitely will. What's the number one seed? Uh, there's four one seeds. It's a 68 movie bracket. I believe, oh wow! I believe the top wow. four are Anchorman. I'm trying to visualize it: Anchorman, okay. Borat, Superbad, and Hangover. Are the four one seeds. Yeah, seems pretty. I I think that the only one seed I would give of those is Anchorman. Anchorman is definitely going to be in my final four. You see, you say that, but it, people it came out a long time ago. Put it that way. Yeah, I could see a lot of people not having seen it. And then if they only saw the second one, or if they have that one in the back of their minds, the second one definitely didn't live up. I don't, I don't think it's that people haven't seen it. I just think that it got so overquoted over time that the, it finally, like, <laughs> it, it had so many returns on it and rewatchability. And then, like, throughout time, it's kind of gone like this. Like, Step Brothers, at least to me, when people talk about it, seems to be better regarded now, although Anchorman is way better. And which is weird to me because I've never been that big of a fan of Step Brothers. But so basically, what you're saying is it got overquoted 60% of the time every time? Yeah. See exactly, what it did? Exactly that. Let's talk running backs. So, top 10 rankings. Here we go. We already did the player by player profile, so you can go check that out. McCaffrey, number one. Number two, Saquon Barkley, named after your dog, named after Saquon Barkley. Maybe maybe <laughs> Barkley will make an appearance on this show. Who knows? Zeke Kamara. Just a bone. Zeke Kamara, Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, Dalvin Cook, Miles Sanders, and Leo Fortnette. That's my top ten this season. Um, Cook, I want to start with. I have him at number eight right now. And that's only because of this holdout status. And, like, uh, Mixon, I think, is most definitely going to play. Uh, I don't know why I feel that way. Maybe I should have him lower, too. But, like, the closer we get to the season and this isn't resolved, the farther down the rankings Delvin Cook is going to split because I've just seen too many guys at running back hold out lately that I don't want to draft a guy in the first round that isn't fucking playing. <laughs> and I certainly understand it. By the way, you always hate on me for the nicknames. And speaking of Anchorman, can we not, because he plays for them, can we not call him Christian Sex Panther McCarthy? McCarthy? McCaffrey? Does, any, does that not work? Does any Does anyone call him that? No, exactly. You Nobody ever calls him the nicknames you give him. That's the point. I, I've never I mean, even heard of that one. I know. We're making it up because he plays for the Panthers, and we were just talking about Anchorman. Sex Panther McCaffrey. Again, Jake, leave the nicknames to me. You're just, that's what I look. Hey, I tried. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate like, your efforts on all this stuff. But like, 
Stick to the good rankings. Leave the nicknames to me. That's the only. Like, you're we trying, were talking anchor man. Trying to steal my bit. That's the one thing I can do well. Come up with nicknames for people. I haven't been able to contribute since Snoo Snoo. That's that's why. That's the only one I have in my back pocket. Yeah, it was like five. Ever done. It was like five years ago. Anyway, I know exactly. All right, so Dalvin Cook. I look, the, the thing is, just with him is I, he's playing because the problem is, is if he, even if he holds out and never plays, he's still a restricted free agent, so he doesn't even get to hit free agency. That's that's the problem. Now, whether it's four, six, whatever, it might, I don't think he can get to ten. I don't know. I would have to look deeper into that. Like you know how these things. Nobody ever seems to have an answer. We all had that. That what was the one where um, it was the running back that was going to hold out, and they were saying, "Oh, he's not going to get free agency." And then all of a sudden, they get like day one, yeah. And there was like, "Oh no, 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 he can hold out. He'll still get free agency." Like they changed that. Nobody was saying it the entire offseason. This one, we at least know he does have to play. So I'm not moving Cook down too far. Uh, even look, look at this. Speaking of Bell, you brought up this argument years ago, Pat, and I'm sure you remember it. Is back when Le'Veon Bell had the suspension to start the season kept saying I'd still take him potentially number one running back because the replacement running back that you use and then get bell back is still going to be RB one. So if cook holds out for September replacement X plus cook is still top five. So I'm still taking cook as the fourth running back off the board. Obviously if that changes and he officially says I'm holding out whatever it might like eight games and he can still get free agency, I would move him down. But I'm still okay with him at number four. The biggest thing concern for me this year on any of the holdout guys is just the COVID situation that's going on right now. Is that like, can you get into the team? Like, I don't know exactly how it's going to work for football, if football can actually even happen. But if it does, like, can he get put back into their bubble coming off of a suspension? What's he doing in these other weeks? Like, is he sitting around at home? It's not like there's he can't go to facilities if he's holding out. Like, there's a lot of question marks around this situation to begin with because of the weird circumstances that we're going to see with the 2020 season that adding more on top of it is not a good thing. I certainly understand that. And we still have time to go for right now. Uh, I think that it's all valid points. It just, it kind of feels almost not slippery slope to a hundred percent degree of the definition, but it kind of feels like that. It's like, all right, well then if we play this game with this guy and this game with this guy, like, well, do we move Zeke up a spot and use the tie break? Cause he's already got COVID. And then the, so I'm just kind of right now, I'm just, I'm treating cook as in everything in the NFL is normal as it can be. Uh, I would still go with him before, but I'm not going to say you're crazy. Like all your points are valid. If you don't want to take him number four, you, I would not have any problem with it. If Delvin cook was a fifth round pick, I wouldn't be concerned about the contract holdout, but I've just seen it happen the past two years where these guys actually do hold out uh, that if I'm going to take him number four overall or number three overall, like I, I don't find that there's a discernible difference, really. Like, if all things being equal, like, where would I have Cook rank if I knew that he was for sure playing the season? Well, he'd be with Kamara, Henry, and Mixon. That Yeah, but see, here's the thing. To go back to your COVID point, again, he needs to play to get free agency, unlike the other ones. So if you Jake, think about you COVID... Make, you make it seem like NFL players make, like, really sound decisions all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. But I was going to bring in another point for him. Is like, you bring in the COVID, well, what if he gets it? He hold like I'm just throwing this out there. What if he has to play 10 games? Which is usually, I think it's 12, 10, somewhere around there. Whatever it might be. Let's say he says, Oh, I'm gonna hold out for four weeks, and then he gets COVID and only ends up playing five games, and now he's a restricted free agent. Like, I think that might again, yes, I'm assuming these guys think these things through or somebody tries Please. to help them. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think that Cook call me crazy when the season kicks off, but I don't think Cook is holding that. 
Okay. And like I said, I just kind of want to wait and see. Like, we're in the middle of July. We have time to fester on this, but the closer we get to the season where a new deal is not done, he is not reported or anything like that, I'm just going to continue to worry about him. Now, let's say that he is all healthy. And even if he if he returns to the team and then he ends up getting hurt or ends up with COVID and has to sit out, those games would technically count uh, towards his free agency. He doesn't actually need to play on them. He needs to be a member of the active okay. roster. Uh, so that's yeah, be, different it, too. Yeah, well, it would be like if he had gotten <laughs> like if he gets hurt week one, he doesn't lose the season because of free agency. Well, I've seen some of the different ones where they were saying for I guess it depends on. Well, COVID makes sense, but I, I think it was the ones whether or not you were under the listed uh, high risk people, and then you still chose to set out, and then that whole it's just it's a mess. It, nobody really understands the full story anyway. Like all things being equal, let's say he plays, would you take him or Kamara? I would take Cook. You would, okay. 100%. So Cook, yeah. seven games with 20-plus carries last season, plus all the catches, and the Vikings ranked second in run rate in the league at 47.4%. And you know, some of that's going to be Alexander Madison. And a lot of people are boosting up Madison up the board. I have Madison at number 40 right now. Um, I just, he's a handcuff still. Like, one of the points that I made with Jeff and Brad was like, yeah, he's a high upside handcuff, but he is still a handcuff. Like I rank Latavius Murray ahead of him because I know what I'm getting from Latavius Murray, that if Kamara is hurt, Latavius Murray is a top five back. And I factored this stuff into my rankings where I bet you over the course of the season, like Madison's going to score way more points than Latavius Murray. Like that's not a question because he's going to get his seven to 10 touches a game, whatever it might be. But you're never in fear of actually playing Latavius Murray unless Kamara is hurt. People are going to draft where he's going right now. Alexander Madison in a spot where they think he's a flex guy. He's not a flex guy. He's only a play <laughs> if Delvin Cook isn't playing. But where people drafting him right now that they're going to end up playing him, which they shouldn't. And I, that's kind of the situation people fall into a lot of years. I mean, we were just talking. I was just on with uh, Marcus Grant yesterday. We were talking about the Miami Dolphins backfield, which I'm sure we're going to get to at some point. But the argument Howard. for Brita. Yeah, see, I'm with you. I'm 100% Howard. With the Brita argument, that's what it is. It's like, well, he's a pass catcher. Okay, that's fine. So what? Does he maybe in a full point PPR become your flex? Because it's similar to Madison. Okay, you get those few touches. At best case scenario, he's RB3. You're just hoping... Jordan Howard bombs. And that's where like, and, but the point is what you're paying Brita in some drafts is going in front of Howard. And that's the point It's like, you're paying this price, I, which is why I agree with you is you're paying prices of starter value that you're never going to start. Just wait and take a Latavius Murray, wait and take a Zach Moss, wait and take these guys that you don't pay a price where you can just leave them on your bench until something does potentially happen. Yeah. And that's the thing with Madison right now is that where you have to draft him he is just a guy who's going to lead to massive bench mistakes. And I've downplayed him in the rankings because of that. Like, my rankings don't go off projections. My rankings go off where I would actually draft people uh, next to it. I know that seems crazy to a lot of people. And listen, I, I don't always have the best rankings. I'm not going to tout myself as someone who's a top 10 overall ranker over the past 10 years like Jake Seeley because he actually has numbers to back that up. I'm god-awful at this stuff. But... The way that I use my <laughs> rankings, like, do I want this guy or do I want this guy? I want this guy. It's not like, well, in 80% of my projections, that he comes out higher on seven of ten of them, so he is ranked higher. That's not what this show's fucking about. I, I don't do that either. Right? I, 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 oh, I know you do. But you, you know the type of person I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> it's not my fault that the rankings were wrong. My projections gave it a better percent chance. Yeah. 
Well, fantasy football is about making fucking decisions. Uh, it's funny. Like I, I'm picturing two people in my head as you're saying this. And listen, those guys are better and win more than I do. But like, it's not helpful when you hear it. Do I want this guy or this guy? You want that guy. Was Were you wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was definitely wrong. But I told you to play. <laughs> it's like those, uh, what is it? The 360, whatever the ones are that where they do like the game. And it's like, as the game goes, they show you the win opportunity and stuff like that. And then like the chart keeps going up and down and they show some of the crazy ones where like teams overcame a 16 point deficit in the fourth quarter and like all that. That's what the guys you're talking about. It's like, well, you know, that would have happened, but 80% of the time that doesn't happen. So like, yeah, there's projections and then there's going that far, which, Hey, that works for a lot of people. It works for a lot of people doing Vegas bets and stuff like that, but that's not my game either. So are you, you're good with McCaffrey over Berkeley, but you're, you agreed that they're one, two. I 100% agree there, one, two. And if it's, it would be a bold prediction, but I think that there is an opportunity for Barkley to overtake McCaffrey, mostly because, because two years ago, Barkley actually outscored him on a per game basis. And I'm not saying that McCaffrey can't do what he did last year because if he used last year's numbers for McCaffrey, he outscores Barkley two years ago. I'm just saying that kind of usage that you saw McCaffrey get can be what Barkley had because that's what Barkley had when he was 100%. And he still put those numbers up last year while basically not 100% for over half the season. So, you know, maybe what's going on in Carolina, maybe they take a little bit of the workload off. And we don't know what Joe Brady and Rule are going to do. And they would be crazy not to let him, you know, do what he just did last year. But I'm just saying, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that Barkley finishes number one, but that's the only reason he's definitively number two. I would never take him number one. Yeah, like if you scale back McCaffrey's numbers 20% from what he scored last season, he would still be the number one running back. Like only, Which is crazy. Only Michael Thomas has more receptions over the past two years of any player. He's a running back. That's what makes him the most valuable. So... I can see, I, I live in a world where I can see Zeke or Barkley or even Dalvin Cook or potentially even Kamara if they start giving him 20-plus touches a game, outscore McCaffrey. But if you want the best bet, it's Christian McCaffrey. That's <laughs> <laughs> not even a doubt. To, to go further into your point, 24 more receptions than second place Austin Eckler, which also had 11 more receptions than third place. So, yeah, 30, what is that, 35 more receptions than third place running backs? Yeah, so... McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott, one, two, three. Then I think that Michael Thomas should be drafted there. Uh, you can check out my overall top 200 rankings for that. Then you have Kamara, Derrick Henry, Mixon, Drake, Cook, Sanders, Fournette. I think you can... Ugh. What? Fournette. You hate Fournette? Or you're too low? hate Fournette there. Why? Because here's why. Like, so I'm going to tell you, like, can, I just can wrote I, him off. Can I bet you Fournette versus Chubb this year? A thousand percent. All right, I'll take Fournette. You take Chubb. I'm scared of Nick Chubb. And I'm beyond terrified of Leonard Fournette. Here's why. I'll just tell, I'll tell you why. Because, and I know you did it on the show when we were Chris Mini. Like, yes, I am that afraid of Chris Thompson for this reason and this reason only. It comes down to style. So Leonard Fournette is a decent pass catcher. I said he's an underrated pass catcher coming out of college because back at that LSU offensive days, that's actually where Darius Geis came from too. LSU didn't really use the running back in that that way. So you look at Fournette. Fournette is not a pass-catching running back. He's not a route-running running back. He's a dump-off with good hands. And if you look at what he did last year, a lot of it was dump-off passes, dump-off screens, which is fine. It's very valuable for what he did last year. But Chris Thompson steps into that role. And if you just cut off, I don't even say 50% of his targets. I'd say 40 30%. I actually have him for 30 fewer receptions this year. 
that's a lot to take off of his plate, where if you also talk about the uses of Armstead, the fact that they're going to be behind, we expect him to pass more. I'm just worried that he doesn't get anywhere near his approaching of 1,700 yards last year, and he falls into like a 1,300 yards. And if a lot of that's lost in the passing game, he's going to have to rebound in touchdowns, and that this team just doesn't seem to project that for me. I In a full-point PPR and a half-point PPR, he's not even inside my top 15. Well... In his first two years in the league, he scored every 29 touches. Last year, he scored every 117 touches. Yeah, I know. uh, I I don't think he's going to score on every 29 touches, but if he scores on every one of 50 touches, then all of a sudden you go from three touchdowns all the way up to like seven or eight this season, and that can mitigate some of the stuff that you're talking about in the passing game uh, where he loses receptions and yardage that way. But I just don't see a scenario where he's not getting 20-plus touches a game regardless. I, I actually do, and it comes down to, again, the passing game. If this team is passing a lot, as everybody expects, obviously things go differently every single year. We project teams at the beginning of the year, and by the second half of the season, defenses are much better than we thought they would be, whatever it might be. This is a team that looks like it should be passing plenty. That's Chris Thompson's role. They brought him in for that. Now, of course, Chris Thompson can get hurt, and like this will be looking foolish because, oh, what I was going to say was just two months, three months ago, before free agency in the draft, I was on with you. I was Leonard Fournette was like number seven or eight in my rankings because I just said 1,700 yards and three touchdowns is not going to happen again, just like when Julio Jones only scored three touchdowns. That was going to come back around. My biggest problem is what I'm saying is even if you take off 20, 25 carries, that's not a lot. You take off 20, 25 carries, you give 40%, like I said, to Chris Thompson in the passing game. And now he's not even getting 300 touches, which that on a week-to-week basis isn't 20 touches per game. That's what I come down to. I could be completely wrong. I just don't see him getting the volume this year, mostly because I think the team is kind of over him. Yeah, but they could just be running him into the ground, too, knowing that they're over them. Yeah, that, that's kind of like I'm not saying you're making it, but that's often a crutch argument that, like, for people that want to support people. It's like, oh, they're going to run them into a ground. It's the last season they have them. And I'm not saying that that's I'm not coming after you for saying that, but no, you're, we you're just come after me for saying it. I, I think that's a real <laughs> thing. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it, it is, but it isn't like I, it's the same thing as a contract year. I went back and looked at only like a lot of these, like the contract year. It's a myth. Like people only remember when it happens. It's well, contract you, you year. went back and looked at contract year, good or bad. I'm not looking about good or bad performance. I'm just looking about usage. Right. Same thing. Usage, the same thing. Like, did the usage go up because they were in their contract year? Did their performance go up because it was a contract year? I did. All the numbers were there. It was like 10 years of worth. And basically it was one third, one third, one third, one third of them were exactly the same. One third improved and one third declined. It's the, it's the Madden curse. People only remember when it happened. Yeah, but I'm not looking for his touch rate to go up. I'm just looking for it to stay around the same. And if it stays the same, I agree with you. I just don't think it is. I actually think he's going to lose a good 10 to 20% of his touches this year. I mean, but it's weird because that's what happened to Nick Chubb once Kareem Hunt came back. So why do you just overwhelmingly like Chubb versus Fournette? Because two reasons. So one is he doesn't have as much competition for additional lost touches. That's the difference here is like Leonard Fournette additionally is going to lose touches. Nick Chubb still from that point on is with Kareem Hunt was an exceptional running back was an RB one. Kareem hunt was an RB two. They were kind of, they kind of turned into the Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler of Cleveland. And we've already heard talk about it is Cleveland doesn't really have a third receiver. They're talking about lining Kareem hunt on the line of scrimmage. Like they, David Johnson did at his prime in Arizona where Nick Chubb is, you brought up Joe Mixon before. I think Nick Chubb and Joe Mixon are similar in this regard is that 
they're so good on a per reception basis is they're not the same as some, like Leonard Fournette. Here's, this is a great example between the two. Leonard Fournette needs four or five receptions to do what Nick Chubb and Joe Mixon do, do on two or three. And so I'm not worried about Nick Chubb because that's his ball game. That's his backfield. He's going to be out there. He's going to be used at the goal line like Leonard Fournette, but he's just better in the passing game where he doesn't need as much to do what Fournette did. So that's where it comes down to is that if you gave me Nick Chubb and Leonard Fournette, both to your point, losing what Nick Chubb did last year, Nick Chubb is going to outperform Leonard Fournette by team performance and by talent. I would agree with you, but I guess the distinction between me of having Fournette over Chubb would be, I know Nick Chubb has already lost those touches. I don't know if Fournette's lost them. And see, that's where I go the other way. Is but you don't know. I know th- no, I, but I You're believe. not from the future, I, like, Jake. <laughs> I hate to tell you. I, I know. I wish I was. I could like find out what the hell went wrong with my love life. If you could tell me, like, if the thing is, is like, look, I'm going the other way and say Nick Chubb's already lost them. He has the potential to get some of it back by their talk of the use of Kareem Hunt at the same time. So, sorry, I thought I thought Barkley was getting ready to pee on the floor. Um, Leonard Fournette, I think, loses it, and that's why. It's like again, I, I think Chubb has room to improve. What we saw when Kareem Hunt was back, I think Leonard Fournette is fully going downhill. That's all. Mixon and Drake. Do you think I have them too highly? I, I know Drake's sort of combustible, but I want pieces of the Arizona offense. And I don't know if I want any of the receivers. I know people love Hopkins. I'm not super in on Hopkins. Uh, when we talk about receivers, we'll hear about that. Not that he's not good, but he's not like top three good to me. But I think Drake is where you want to be. And I'll probably draft Edmonds late just to make sure that I have the backup as well because if he ends up being the guy and getting all the touches uh, if anything happens to drake he's going to be super valuable so i actually have Kenyon drake as an rb1 i have zero shares of Kenyon drake so far my biggest concern about him is even if you only take the games when he was with the cardinals is that those three big games that he had were almost 60% of his production for the entire season. And I'm not saying that can't improve and flatten. And when I say improve, I don't think it can do better than that, obviously, with that three-touchdown game. But those numbers can flatten across the season and bring in consistency. It's just, what is Drake? Like, is this the Lamar Miller situation where we kept saying, give the guy more talent or touches because he's talented, give him more touches, give him more touches. And then we see Lamar Miller used over an entire season around that 20 touch per game and he's producing the same, but at a less efficient rate. That's my concern with Drake. So I think he could easily finish as an RB one with this team, with this office, with click Kingsbury and all that type of stuff. But what if they're super pass happy and Kenyon Drake isn't used so much in that area because they have Hopkins and all the weapons there. There's just a lot that can go wrong with Drake, let alone the talent of Chase Edmonds, whether or not he's been healthy, but Chase Edmonds behind him. And just the, the back is with, uh, I think, you know, Ben, yeah, it was the Eno Benjamin that they took. I'm having a brain fart now. But in any case, if you look at what's behind them, they have some options. I'm just scared of Drake there. Mixon, I think, is in the perfect spot. I think, go back to the Nick Chubb thing. People hate on Mixon too much for only catching, only, and I put that in quotes, only catching two, two catches a game. Uh, Derrick Henry just signed his extension, by the way. He's working to finalize. Oh, really? He's working to finalize his deal. Uh, I guess it, the thought process behind it is if they can sign him now, they might have money to go after Clowney. Uh, by the time people watch this, two days after we recorded, he probably has signed the deal. But either way, like he, he's just another guy that 
I'm not going to have, almost like you have Drake, like where he's ranked, I'm probably not going to end up with Derrick Henry. Only because I have Devontae Adams ranked above him in my overall rankings. I would rather have Devontae Adams. That I think Henry and Kamara are a bit closer to Drake, Cook, Sanders, and like that range than like the top two receivers, who I think are distinguished above the rest of the pack. And with Drake, I agree he's volatile. I agree he could go busto. But he's just a guy I'm in on this year. I love what this offense presents, the pace that they can play. And when you start stretching teams out vertically and you have a mobile quarterback, it just makes everything so much easier on the running back that he might not need to touch the ball over 20 times a game. They can use him in an efficient manner. I mean, he had the fifth most fantasy points per touch of any running back last year. I think that this is a perfect offense for him. Yeah, and a lot of those came out of those big games and then down the stretch. And to his credit, the games where he was getting 20 touches at the end of the season, he was actually performing better on a yards per carry basis. It was very explosive. But all that being said is it kind of similar to what you were saying about the Adams situation is, I, you know me, uh, unless it's the second half of the first round and somehow Michael Thomas is still there, I'm taking my running back in the first round. Sometimes I'm even taking one in the second. But I, a lot of drafts I've done so far, I've got an RB wide receiver because – an Adams or a Julio or somebody like that is there in the second round. And then I'm taking them every single time. So that's where Drake's going. And Drake's not there for me in the third, where I would probably consider him the third. But the thing is, is with him, I'm taking Chubb. I'm taking Mixon. Uh, who else would I, I mean, I'm taking Josh Jacobs. You know, that. I'm taking Chris Carson, Chris Carson. You're taking, you you're, taking Chris Car- you're taking Chris Carson above Kenyon Drake. A oh, thousand times. All right. Let's bet that one too. Drake versus Carson. Chris Carson last year. Chris Carson's RB10. good. Yeah, Chris Carson is. Listen, I and you were the one. You were, you were the one yelling at me about Chris Carson like last year, being like, "No, Penny's definitely going to be the guy." I'm like, no, it's clearly Chris. No, Carson. I said he was going to be involved. Don't no, 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 say he was going to be the guy. Like no, no, you, you're trying to win championships here, Drake. Chris, Car- yeah. Chris Carson is a nice complimentary piece, and I like him where he's going in drafts. Kenny and Drake could be a league swinger. That's why I like no, him. Chris. Chris Carson going to be a league swinger for where he's going. The most, like, honestly, probably the most disrespected running back right now. 1,500 yards, what is it, like nine or 10 touchdowns. The guy's a top 10 running back, has no Rashad Penny this year, has a rookie behind him for that Rashad Penny role, uh, unless like, they still have Travis Homer, I think. But look, if the job is all his. It's the Seattle offense where he's proven time and again, averaging 15 points a game. Chris Carson is on so many of my teams and will be again this year. This is this is ridiculous. Well, he's going in the fourth round, so you might as well take him. I, I, Which is crazy. I, 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 he I should ag- be going to the third. I agree. And if he falls, like just like last year, when he falls to the fourth round, just scoop him up every single time. You have yourself a high-end running back, too. Uh, but I want to throw this you have out. RB1. You have a fringe RB1. Uh, when you... <laughs> if you get the first pick and you take McCaffrey, just a few of the drafts I've been doing, um, Kelsey and Kittle are an interesting circumstance because most of the time they go in the second round, but sometimes they fall back in 12-team leagues. That if you had McCaffrey in pick one, could you ever envision a scenario with your second and third round pick, you take Kelsey and Kittle and just isolate everyone out of the market? No, because I don't like I, I don't like playing the isolation game because if you look at it, there's value in Kelsey or Kittle at that spot. But if you put them at the wide receiver position, they're at hell. You put them at the running back position, possibly. You're putting one of them in your flex at that spot. You are, but, so, but if you if you move Kelsey and called him a wide receiver, he'd be the fifth best receiver over the past three years. If he repeats that again, which well, he's he been the number one, he's been the number one tight end for four straight years. 
And there's been times where he's been inconsistent not, on a week-to-week basis. Not What's, really. Like, his bad games are like 13 points. No, there's there's been some single-digit performances. Yeah. Point so, being, so what you're saying is that every, every player that you take at the end of the second round is good every week. That's your word. No, but I can no, but I can guarantee and that's not my words at all. But I can guarantee touches at that point. If you're gonna tell me I have to put a tight end in my flex, you have to my point being before you jumped in is you have to put him as a running back slash wide receiver on the board and start looking at a best player available. If Carson's on the board versus those two, I'm taking Carson. If Drake, if despite the fact that I don't like Drake, is at that spot, I'm taking Drake. Those are guaranteed touches every single week where I don't have to worry about game script killing them yes obviously if it's 24 to nothing in the start of the second quarter it could be pass. but the problem is you're relying on a tight end which is even worse than relying on a wide receiver most weeks like michael thomas is in this range julio jones Devontae. well michael thomas first round but julio jones Devontae adams like those type of wide receivers i'm just not putting a tight end that Devon, early Devontae, Ad- then- Devontae adams isn't following to pick 24 that's not happening kelsey is in some places and if you're going to put both, if you're going to put one in your look, you're also handcuffing yourself for the rest of the draft of what being able to take a best player available, which is going to be my last point is that if somebody's falling, somebody's falling, somebody's falling, you already have two running backs. If somebody's falling, somebody's falling, you have three wide receivers. Now you can't do anything about it. I'm just, I'm never going to start my draft tying up my tight end in a flex spot that I'm just not going to do it. Uh, let's see here. Inconsistent Travis Kelsey outside of week 17, which we don't play in fantasy, had fewer than seven targets in a game once all season. Let's go through his game log here. Uh, 11 fantasy points, 25 fantasy points, 15 fantasy points, 16 fantasy points. Oh, here's a bad game. He only scored 11 fantasy points. He scored 10 fantasy points. One, two, 10. three, four. four. Four, one, two, three, four, uh, five. Ten. Four single digits, five single digits. What are you looking at? One, two. We're talking. I'm looking at as per game. We're talking about PPR rankings here, pal. We could do PPR. So what? It jumped one of them up to non, to not being a single digit performance. I see. So I see. I see one single digit performance all year, and it's like nine point seven points. No, there's no way. Give me the weeks then. Give me. Give me the weeks. Five, six, and seven in a row. Five, six, he and went four. F- five, six, and seven. So weeks five, he was four for seventy. So there's eleven. points. So there's eleven points. Uh, Ooh, 11, wow. Four for 50. I mean, this is his floor. Like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the single digit, and you didn't include 2018. Six for 46, five for 61, seven for 61, five for 54, one for six in week one. Like that, I won't even count that one. We won't even count that one for you. Five for 40, four for 37. I'm just saying there's down weeks for him. Again, it can work. I'm not going to do it because it goes to the second point as well, which is, again, what I'm going to keep saying. You get to round six and some ridiculous value is slipping down the board. You can't do anything about it. You can do nothing about it. And that's my biggest problem with the draft, too, is you've officially stopped yourself from being able to get an amazing value. But who's the amazing value at tight end in round six? I'm not talking about tight end. Then I'm talking about your flex spot. Who cares? If, if you start just draft, if, you don't need the flex spot because you have open spots on your roster. Just take the best fucking players, and these are the best players. You're you're trading off the other two positions already. Like, oh my god, <laughs> you do it. I, you I, tell me these leagues. I, that you I, you, I, you I, show me the leagues you win I, with two tight ends to start the second and third I round. Might, if they fall to me in your flex league, I'm definitely doing it. I'm definitely winning. Please do. Definitely winning. Please do. All right. Back to running backs. Nick Chubb, 11. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 12. 
Gurley, 13. Eckler, 14. Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Chris Carson, Jonathan Taylor. I think from that, basically that entire range of nine guys could be somewhat interchangeable. I love the upside. I'm enamored with the upside of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm like Drake. He could be a reach player for me. And, but the other guys are all like kind of the same to me. Like I could see bell having a really good year. I could see Carson have a really good year. Jacobs. I just don't think is ever going to catch. And I don't know what the hell's going on in green Bay, but it's going to take like Aaron Jones has such weird splits where if Jamal Williams is inactive, he's awesome. If Devonte Adams is inactive, he's awesome. But now they bring an AJ Dillon too. Like, yeah. What, what are they using him for? I don't know. I can't figure it out. For the short game, and that's the biggest thing, is there is people with fewer yards and more touchdowns, or there's nobody with more yards and, like, the fact that you look at McCaffrey, who had, look at how many yards he had, like, we're talking about, what, 2,300-some-odd yards, but just rushing, 1,300, 300 more rushing yards, only one fewer touchdown. Aaron Jones had 1,000 yards and 16 touchdowns. That just doesn't happen. This is the reverse of Leonard Fournette. That's the key, that's the issue here. So if he's losing some of those touches where he's always he was already going to have regression for the touchdown department to have that kind of success rate. Now you add in A.J. Dillon, who should be getting all those goal, goal line touches because they've been trying. You mentioned Jamal Williams. The Packers have been trying to add that dimension to their offense, that power option to complement Aaron Jones. I don't hate Aaron Jones, despite what everybody may think. It's just he's so touchdown reliant, unlike Derrick Henry, who scored the exact amount of the same touchdowns, 16, but it took him 1,540 yards, and that's Derrick freaking Henry. Like, so I just, I'm very scared of Aaron Jones as an RB1. I have him on zero teams. I will have, I'd rather take Kenyon Drake every single time to go back to the Kenyon Drake comparison. Uh, the one question I do have for you is, did I miss, was he inside your top 10? Did I miss Miles Sanders? Yeah, I'm at number nine. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I, cool. There's not really. Right. I, I just feel like there's not really much to say about Miles Sanders. I am. No, there's not. I'm worried that they misuse him and that he's not like the lock that everyone seems to think he is. Because I, I worry about. It's not necessarily like Boston Scott. I worry about it's Doug Peterson that I worry about. But it seems like he's carved himself out that role. But like, I would prefer the upside of Drake in this spot. I don't know how good the Eagles are going to be. They're really weird. No. I would prefer Miles Sanders, mostly because Doug Peterson's very rarely had a running back like him. And here's the good news. Alshon Jeffrey probably starting the season on the pup. Uh, Who knows what Deshaun Jackson has left if he's not suspended or whatever, even if he's not. Like, let's just say he's ready for week one. You have Deshaun Jackson, who's not Deshaun Jackson anymore. You have Jalen Rager, who's a rookie. You have J.J. Arthrega-Whiteside, who was a huge bust in year one. I'm not saying his career is done for, but you have him. You have Greg Ward, who was their leading receiver down the stretch. Receiver, not tight end. I like Greg. And then, yeah, and then Josh Hightower, rookie. Quez Watkins, rookie. So, it's just this could be very much what we saw at the end of last year where the only four pieces you care about are Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Goddard, and Ertz. And Miles Sanders and Boston Scott were going eight ham every single week together. So I'm, I'm definitely on Miles Sanders. Yeah, okay. I am at number nine. I think he's a fine pick. He's just yeah. he's not like a, I, I don't like him. I really like him. I just I think that he's good. So some guys you just don't have the strongest like lean on. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Le'Veon Bell one where you said you're not that scared of him. I think people hate on him too much for last year because he was just consistently consistent. That, like, it, he never that, won that, you a week. That team was he never let you down. Really bad last year. Despite their record, they were inept. <laughs> well, Sam Darnold's still there, so I don't know how much is. <laughs> but just yeah, like, listen. Like if you, there's a couple guys like this, and I kind of put them towards the back because I don't really know. Maybe Carson shouldn't be in this mix, and I should move him up higher. And I'm going to reassess that because this is why I talk to you about these things, despite the shit that I give you. <laughs> 
Connor, <laughs> Bell, Montgomery, I think are the three. Like, they're getting carries. They're going to get touches. And that's valuable to an extent. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to poo-poo and ruin all the hype and fun that we're having here, but Connor is the one I'm most worried about from a COVID standpoint. Yeah. Because no, you, you've brought, came back from cancer. You've brought this up. Yeah, he's at a, he's a very high risk. If it's not going to be Connor, uh, I think it does make sense to potentially take a flyer in the later rounds on one of the Steelers' backups. I've been team McFarland, and so are you, but who would be the other options? Would it be Jalen Samuels? Or would it be Benny Schnell? No, it would be Schnell. Uh, I, to be honest with you, the only reason I think Samuels is going to be on this roster is because of the concerns of Connor. If it were anything else where, like, maybe their number one running back, look, go back to Dalvin Cook, like, without the contract concerns. Or Chris Carson. Like, if they just had a running back that they weren't that worried about, I think Jalen Samuels would be completely – I think he'd be off the roster. Anthony McFarlane came in and took his job. Okay. Rest of the guys in this – like, where do you have Clyde edwards helaire ranked? I have him inside my top 10 and I've admittedly said this time and again, I will move him down if we get to mid August and there's still zero preseason games, still the barely any practices outside of just team interest squads, like baseball is doing with interest squad type, like, or whatever you just want to say, uh, <laughs> the Jersey's difference on the other side, red versus blue, whatever you want to call it. Um, but if you look at it, like if that's all we're getting, I will discount Edwards Hilaire a little bit and probably slide back to kind of where you have him as mid teens. Mostly, and it's not even because he's a rookie. It's also because he's a rookie under Andy Reid's very complicated playbook. That's where I'm kind of going with it because, uh, you know, I had D'Angelo Williams. You know this. I have him on my podcast, and I asked him the question about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I said, like, look, I'm getting a lot of pushback on this. They drafted him in the first round, supremely talented. I don't care if he gets 20 touches a game. I don't think he gets 20 touches a game. I think he gets 16 to 18. And he told me RB blank on the Chiefs getting 16 to 18. He's going to be an RB1 for me. I said, what are your thoughts with the rookie? He said, you don't. NFL teams don't invest a first round pick in a rookie running back to not play him. And then you also heard about unless you're Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll. Yeah. So there you go, which Pete Carroll still, that's why I brought up the penny thing before is he didn't, I asked him at the combine. He didn't seem very sold on the penny pick at the time, but in any case, yeah, you're right. Outside of those two, Andy Reed to go back to Andy Reed and let's throw out Kareem hunt because we know Spencer Ware got hurt. Kareem, uh, LaShawn McCoy under Andy Reed was the lead guy. Now, did he get over a thousand rushing yards? No, but he was a rookie who came in and was the lead option that year. Yeah. No, listen, I, I'm, it's something that it's not for the faint of heart to take Clyde Edwards. Right. There. That's um, for sure. Huge bust potential. Huge. I don't necessarily think that there's bust potential based on where you have to take him. There's gigantic bust potential. I just think like it, there's a situation that arises where he does like nothing for the first few weeks and potentially, Oh, you're like, that's one of the outcomes. I just don't think that's very likely, but let's say weeks one, two, and three, he's like, you know, on the back end of a bad timeshare with Damian Williams, he gets like 30% of the snaps, that kind of thing. And then I do think that over the course of the season that he'll work more and more and more to become the workhorse in the chief's offense, which is what you're trying to find and why you would draft him in right. this spot. But a lot of people said, well, just don't draft him and then trade for him after three weeks. Like anyone who drafts Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you're not going to not be able to buy go. low on him. Like if you've someone has spent a second round pick on him, they don't people don't just give up that player for nothing. Like I hate Miles Sanders last year was because he was fifth, sixth round. Yes. People are more willing to no, part I, with that. I, that is the entire like no one ever thinks of the psychology behind these trades. Uh, when it comes to fantasy football it is because i play in a league with knobs all the time that i have for like the past <laughs> 20 years and this is how they think and 
I feel the same way too. Like I, I knew about this guy. David Montgomery was the perfect example of this last year. People drafted him in the third round after he got all this buzz. You need to draft this rookie. He's going to be so good. Let's go up the board and we'll get David Montgomery. He sucks, but not to the point where like you don't play him because you're still playing him every right. week. And he's not good, and people are trying to like give you like shitty offers for him to buy a little like seventy cents on the dollar, which you probably should have taken the first time that you got the deal, <laughs> but you didn't because you spent the third round pick on him, and you thought you were smart because you reached on him. If you take Clyde Edwards Hilaire this year, you have reached the on him, round, and yeah. you don't want to you don't want to admit you're wrong, and that's what happens in the psychology of these trades. And you'll never you'll never be able to buy him low. You're just never going to be able to do it. You're you're 100% right, but I will let's swing this back positively for a second here. So in a different carry to reception ratio than him, but Austin Eckler last year, 224 touches. If I said Austin Eckler is getting 224 touches with the Kansas City Chiefs, people would be losing their effing mind. They would be taking him top five because they already want to take Austin Eckler as an RB1 with the Chargers. I don't. And again, I, I do. Th- oh, people do. I know you don't. I, I don't either. But. Now, I don't have Edwards Hilaire for that split. I have him for 230 touches. I have him more touches. I have him more in the running game with only about 45 to 50 receptions. But again, that equals out to about 17 touches, 18 touches a week. And again, if you just told people, like you want to talk about the psychology of it, if you just told somebody that, hey, put Austin Eckler on the Chiefs, again, people will be losing their effing minds to try and get him. Uh, I'm Team Gurley. Are you Team Gurley? I feel like you're not. No, I am. I'm, I'm team Gurley for where he's going and what you have to pay to get him because I am team not Gurley's knee. That's my biggest concern, but I am team Gurley in the Falcons backfield with the competition of Ito Smith and Kadri Olison 100% because nah, I'm not that sold on Ito Smith for all the excitement he had for, what, two weeks last year? Then when everybody's like, oh, look look what he can do! He's still Ito Smith, and Kadri Olison can't catch. So this backfield is Todd Gurley's, and no, he's not going to be 25 touches a game like he was in his prime with the Rams. He'll be 20. But He'll double yeah, it. He'll exactly. double his receptions from last year. As long as he he just makes it 14 games and you're going to get Buku reward on investment, oh, right. return on investment. Nice for I'll say there. That's pretty good. Uh, Austin Eckler. <laughs> I have it number 14. I like Eckler, but I don't love Eckler. So therefore that means I will have no Eckler because some people love him. Yep. And unfortunately we're in hundred percent agreement on that one. So somebody, something's going to go bad. We don't often agree like that perfectly. Like I have him exactly at 14 and I have zero shares of Austin Eckler. It's, it's just tough for me to think that he can replicate and have the workload and success that he did while Melvin Gordon was out last year. I think that he's fine as a split and like as a 60% split, I think he's a very high end running back too. Uh, and I think that he's going to be pretty that's where he was when Gordon was a hundred percent at the middle of the season. Yeah, and, I, are on out. and I think that's how we're going to have to assess this, whether it be Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly, like, or even just Tyrod running on his own until Herbert gets it. And Herbert might be running. Like I just, Unless Herbert's also more aggressive downfield. I don't know how much he's going to dump off as much. Uh, Tyrod might actually be better for, I'm not saying this. It's definitive. Like that's not my argument. I'm just saying it's a scenario that could happen where Tyrod is actually better for Eckler than Herbert is. Yeah, I, I can see that. I just think that we really disregard how important Philip rivers is to the success of his running backs just by constantly keeping them involved. I did a QB tendency article and I pulled it up and uh, I don't have quick access to it. Um, Phil Rivers was either number one or number two in percentage of throws going to the, the running back. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But like that, but I have Jonathan Taylor at number 20. I think that, you know, you draft him to play over Mac and then like everyone's kind of talking about Naheem Hines. Have you actually seen anyone pull the trigger on Naheem Hines? Like, like 
actually reach for him, or is he like a 13th round pick? I have. Well, no, that's usually where I'm taking. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess reach rate might like 11th round. I'm just taking Hines as I think you, we talked about it on the show when we did the running back one with Chris is that he's poor man's Austin Eckler. He is going to, I think Jonathan Taylor is a better pass catcher than people realize, but to go back to the little Fournette conversation, that's the conversation you're having is he's probably more Fournette. He's probably more of a dump off pass catcher has good hands, should be used a little bit where he doesn't have to come off the field, but he's not Naeem Hines. He's not Austin Eckler. He's not Aaron Jones. He's not that kind of like whatever. So if you look at it, Jonathan Taylor has to come in as a rookie. Mac is not even close talent-wide, but he is the guy who performed pretty well at times and especially behind that offensive line where it's just going to be a cluster to come in. Jonathan Taylor feels like the one that should be in that Miles Sanders conversation we were having earlier where he's in the fifth, sixth round. People get frustrated in the first three weeks and then sell. He feels more like that one. Yeah, I, I didn't even like, I don't look at anyone else's rankings because I personally don't give a shit. These are my rankings. But I like to talk to you about yours. Like, where do you have him ranked? And wh- like, where do people have Jonathan Taylor rank? Like, I, he was a very tough player to rank for me personally. Oh, he's all over the place. Jonathan Taylor, I've seen go as early as like the third, fourth round. I've seen Jonathan Taylor fall to the sixth, seventh round. It's really going to depend on who's in your league if somebody has a fascination for him. Jonathan Taylor, I have... Again, now, so there's two different ways to look at this. So I have Jonathan Taylor at 25. I want to bring the, the Miles Sanders conversation back into this because you brought it up from before, and this was my argument for Sanders last year, is that once Taylor is in control of this backfield, which will happen sometime as a rookie, it might take three weeks, it might take six weeks, it might take nine weeks. Once he does, you're talking about RB1 numbers. So that's where you have to play the Jonathan Taylor game. If you want to sit back and try to buy low, you're not guaranteed to be able to buy low because somebody just might love the guy. But you can try and play that game, or if you take them, you're probably going to be frustrated to start the year. But if you have the patience, similar to Miles Sanders last year, that's where you're going to pay off in the second half of the season. Okay. I I can see that. So if you, I I do think that there is value in this backfield because we know that Austin Eckler is a much better pass catcher than Melvin Gordon, for example. Mm -hmm. But it's not like Melvin Gordon didn't end up with like six targets a game anyway. No, 100%. By the way, I found it. Yeah, so he was number two. You want to guess who number one was throwing to the running back percentage-wise? Brady? No. Uh, I don't think. I, I can think I'd give you 20 guesses and you would never guess. I, because one, one second. I, I'll, hold, hold on one second. Is it, like, is it just from guys last year or tendency over time? Yes. Je- well, te- it, I mean, I went back more, than, but this is specifically just from last year. Kyle Allen. No. I just think McCaffrey. You could guess, though. Just think, he's, think- he's actually in the top. 15%, but you got to remember it's percentage-wise, so it wasn't all Christian McCaffrey. Oh, is, is this person a starter? He's not anymore. Oh, fuck. Um... Hey, I'll give you a huge hint. He is elite. Oh, really? Flacco? Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco should be starting for the Jets. He's better than, <laughs> 20, he's better than Sam Darnold. 25, 25.6% of his passes to the backfield. Philip ga- Rivers was 24.6. Yeah, but how many games did Flacco play last year? Like five? Well, it's that 64 backfield targets. I mean, I did put a minimum of at least 100 targets out of this. Okay. But Phillip Rivers, if he makes you feel any better, Phillip Rivers, if you just talk about percentage going to the running back, outperformed Flacco. So it's, if it's running back versus backfield. Yeah, so I think I the reason I ranked Jonathan Taylor at 20 is because I think that he ends up getting the job. He'll be in a split either two-way or three-way, whatever it might be from day one. And that I think that he can kind of luck sack his way into a bunch of cheap catches anyway. Oh, 100%. And it's really going to come down to whether how quickly he unseats Marlon Mack. I think Naheem's role, Naheem Hines' role is going to stay no matter what. 
It's just how much is Mac mixed in. And the good news about it is that if they see a, a situation where it's third down and they don't want Hines out there and they, it, you know, maybe it's third and four and they want it to be kind of disguised, whether or not they're going to pass or run or whatever. And so Taylor will be out there over Mac because Mac can't catch very well. I have Josh Jacobs at 16. Like, honestly, I, I just don't think that he's going to catch any passes and he's not, De- I do. And he's not Derrick Henry. Oh, no, he's not Derek Henry. But, I mean, to be honest with you, like, even though I do, uh, let me, I'll get, actually give you my exact – I have him for 30 receptions. It's not like I have him world-breaking receptions. But to the Nick Chubb argument, he's right in line with Nick Chubb. He's only about, in my projections, nine receptions behind Joe Mixon. So if you think about Nick Chubb, you think about Joe Mixon. That's the tendency, though, of those guys, and to go back to them, is that they are RB1s. But it's a very slim margin, especially when you're talking about half and full point PPR, when you're in this group of players where 10 receptions, one touchdown. I mean, these are guys that could slip back six spots before you blink. 21 to 30 in the rankings. David Montgomery, flea market. Number 21, Melvin Gordon. Uh, So Montgomery, Gordon, Singletary, White, David Johnson, Jordan Howard, Kareem Hunt, Cam Akers. Fantasy Pros has apparently ranked Mark Ingram at number 29 because I only have him ranked in worst place. Uh, and then Raheem Mostert, who demanded a trade. Um, I, I just, I, I want to wait and see what happens with him before anything, but I'm He's not, not going anywhere. I, I don't think so either, but like, I still don't trust him in the 49ers backfield. Montgomery. I, I don't see why people are so high on Melvin Gordon for one thing. Like I just, people are like, yeah, I'll take Melvin Gordon. He's a running back too. It's like, yeah, very low end with like no upside. Montgomery, I think could be good. Mm, the problem is Montgomery is not that good. That's the issue. Montgomery as a run, running back is not that. This is a perfect example, and I'm not poo-pooing them because I use pro football focus for a lot of things. Right? They have a lot of terrific stats out there. The point about it is that whether it's pro football focus, whether it's faded noise, whether it's your whatever it is, don't hone in on one specific statistic or projection or analysis or metric if you're like talking about his weight to speed or whatever you know a lot of those other sites do out there yeah but you you, think that you you know that i don't play that game i'm just thinking out of running backs down this is like he's a part of that like levy on bell james connor tier like there's a path to where this guy averages 21 touches a game now he might not be good i I don't see it i I see well how many did you have last year tariq cohen's still there i just david montgomery's tariq cohen is a gadget player he really is Okay, and David Montgomery even last year with a gadget player didn't even get three hundred touches. There's, I would you want to put that one? I will give you the over under two ninety nine point five. I under because even when he's running the ball, he's still not that good. The, and what I was going back to is the broken tackles. People got enamored with the lead college football with broken tackles. Broken tackles in itself is a flawed stat because you could talk about the fact of whether or not the offensive line did such a good job that an arm on the guy counts as a broken tackle. So. Again, don't get caught up on one stat, but even if you like David Montgomery, it's just I don't see where he's the talented enough running to average four and a half, four point seven yards per carry. And uh, he's not going to have a lot of passing game work. He's going to have less receptions or fewer receptions than Josh Jacobs. So I understand he's the lead option here, but I don't think he's any better of a lead. I, I think the, you bringing up Melvin Gordon. I think they're kind of in the same bucket for me. Well, that's why I have them both back to back in the rankings. But I just look at like David Montgomery. What do you have? Oh. 100, 272, 278 
touches last year, only 25 receptions on 35 targets. I'm not expecting a ton out of the passing game from him. But like as we saw from when the season went along, like only six carries week one, he had two against New Orleans. But then he has these games, 27, 14, 17, 14, 13, 16, 20, 14, 13, 23, all to end the season. Nothing like out of this world. I'm not. I'm agreeing with you that I don't think he's very good, but like I think he's also like in a similar bucket as Melvin Gordon and David Johnson, for that matter. But eventually, these guys start falling so much that they're volume players. That's the one thing that I care about is this volume. And I know that he's gonna be on the field yes. a bunch. Maybe he gets. In, maybe he flukes out and ends up with 35 receptions this year somehow. Uh, Nick Foles just enjoys dumping it off to David Montgomery. Maybe he improves a little bit. But he's the guy that they're probably gonna be using inside the five yard line. He has touchdown upside. He's gonna have a ton of carries on the ground. I think he's not sexy. I don't think he's fun to own. But like. To have him as your running back three, where he's currently being drafted, you could use him as a low-end number two, depending on how you want to do your draft. And that's certainly fine. If you want to take him as your flex, a low-end RB2 in that range, yeah, sure, he's fine. I'm just, to the Melvin Gordon comparison, you said I would take him over Melvin Gordon. I think I actually would prefer Melvin Gordon because I do think he has a little bit higher of an upside given those teams and how they're going to use their backfields, even with Philip Lindsay. And I've been a campaigner or campaigner. I would just say that I've been a proponent of taking Philip. Lindsay. Like everybody all of a sudden hates Philip Lindsay. The guy rushed for over a thousand, rushed, not even received, rushed for over a thousand yards, two years in a row. And all of a sudden Philip Lindsay is dead. Oh, Philip Lindsay can't be Austin Eckler for the Broncos. That's a sidebar there real quick. But David Montgomery, like, what was he? 3.7, 3.8 yards per carry last year. To go back to that, why I think he's a very good comparison. You brought him up for Melvin Gordon is because Melvin Gordon is the same thing. It's kind of a volume runner. He's not running for over four yards per carry. Can we go back to your most hated player, though? Because I want to bring in the rookie because I know we haven't got him to your rakes yet. But Mark Ingram should be an RB, too. I know you hate him. But until he gets hurt... He is the lead option who is also used in the passing game on the what everybody wants J.K. Dobbins to be overdrafted as an RB3, which is bananas to me because J.K. Dobbins is not going to be involved unless Mark. This goes to the Alexander Madison thing from before. Yes, if Mark Ingram gets hurt and goes down, J.K. Dobbins has top 10 upside. There's no question about it. But are you going to hang on to a guy that you're drafting as an RB3, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, hoping that Mark Ingram gets hurt? I know you are, but everybody else shouldn't. Uh I'm kind of with I have J.K. Dobbins at number 33. Like, I don't, he's not a reach. And Even people, further and, down. And he is a player that people are reaching on for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I totally agree with you that he feels like a bench mistake player to me. And there's no real way to quantify that, but it's the same thing that I, case that I made with Madison. You draft Madison, you're probably going to end up using Madison when you shouldn't. You draft Latavius Murray, you're never using Latavius Murray unless you should use right. Latavius Murray. Like, I think that there's value in that certainty which is a really weird right. way to do rankings, but I really feel strongly about that. <laughs> so it's the same thing. You'll ne- but the problem is, is J.K. Dobbins is both. Is for a while there, you'll be like, all right, fine. I'm just going to put him on my bench. I know I don't have to draft or I don't have to play him, but then he'll have the Gus Edwards game where he gets, you know, they're up 40 to 10 and he gets 11 carries for, you know, 60 yards and a score. And all of a sudden everybody's like, oh crap, look, J.K. Dobbins, he's going to get more involved. And then they're going to put him in a lineup and be idiots about it. Or... The, the biggest problem is like, just throw all that out the window. The biggest problem is what you have to pay to get Dobbins. Cause there's one in every single league drafting him as an RB three. And that's insane right now. Tell me about cam acres this year and what his potential upside is. And if you had to guess on the split in the Rams backfield, what's it going to be between the three of those guys or potentially even two of them? I think it's going to be two. I think it's going to be very much like, I know I keep using their chargers as a reference point, but I think it's going to be very much like once Melvin Gordon was hundred percent as it's cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. And 
Malcolm Brown, I don't get the fascination from people have this like Im- like imagery of like how great he did. And it was like oh, two I, performances. I, I know why, because everyone played Gurley that week on DraftKings only to watch him come out <laughs> of the game and watch Malcolm Brown come in and steal two fucking touchdowns. <laughs> And I think that's all it is. If you look at Malcolm Brown, Malcolm Brown's going to be the third option, the backup option. Cam Akers, Cam Akers is actually somebody who has RB1 potential. If like Daryl Henderson doesn't step forward this year as what we thought he could be last year and can't be like that pass-catching dynamic weapon who, you know, gets eight to 12 touches per week. Yeah, actually very much like Kareem Hunt. Like that's the upside people thought of him from last year. If he doesn't do that, Cam Akers can steal some of that work. Cam Akers is a very good all-around running back who people probably would have talked about more if he was on any other offense with any better offensive line than Florida State's garbage offensive line. I mean, we're talking Miami Dolphins, Cincinnati Bengals offensive line last year is awful. And he still performed great in that offense. Cam Akers could be one of the best in this range. If you're looking for somebody like screw Tobbins and Taylor with those mixed backfields, if you're talking about one who might have the easiest pass to getting 20 touches a game, it might actually be Akers. Hmm. So should I be moving? Like, should I draft Akers or Devin Singletary? It depends on your roster construction. David Singletary is going to be exactly what David Singletary was last year. That's why they've drafted Zach Moss to replace Frank Gore. And actually, you might have to concern yourself more from Josh Allen rushing touchdowns going to Moss because Singletary was never going to be that guy, which is fine. Singletary is fine as an RB2. But if you're looking for, as you said, the league winners, Singletary is going to be an RB2. Singletary is going to be Singletary. If you're looking for somebody who could have that wide range of outcomes where, you know, maybe you don't even use Cam Akers, but maybe you found yourself an RB1, that's the pick that you make. Okay. Who else from here do I want to talk about? David Johnson? Do you like, is he like Frank Gore now? He's better than Frank Gore if he's. Oh God, what was that? Was that the Bengals or the Browns game where it looked like he was walking that, that towards the line of scrimmage? That that clip that was out there that everybody started retweeting, which is a great clip. To, like he looked so freaking slow. It wasn't slow motion anything. If he's like that, forget about it. Uh, obviously, the Texans and Bill O'Brien think he's more than that. And if he is, you want to talk about a backfield where you could talk about twenty touches per game. I actually have David Johnson as RB20. Uh, I think he's got a ceiling for higher than that, but he is by far one of the riskiest. Fit. Like all these names we've mentioned so far, Gordon is safer. Taylor, even as a rookie, probably safer. I mean, there's a very realist, there's a non zero chance by week four. David Johnson's not even fancy relevant. I like James White with Cam. I like James White period, but my concern is actually a little bit more on the Sonny Michelle side and also slightly to James White with Damian Harris because they drafted Damian Harris thinking they might fall into an all-down running back who can catch passes. And if you look at Damian Harris, who people seem to have forgotten that that's why they were scared of Sonny Michelle last year, uh, missed the entire rookie season being hurt. I, I, I still like James White. I made that clear. I said I like James White, but... I'm just, oh, I'm scared of that backfield. I'm so scared of it with Damian Harris healthy. Now you're talking four guys are in the mix again. It just, it always feels like James White has his role. And he knows it. It does. And like he, but, he just, it's like when he was a kid, he listened to The Rock. He knows his role, he shuts his <laughs> mouth. And he just stands out there and it works out for him. Like he's going to be relatively inconsistent. But again, this is PPR scoring for these rankings that he just does provide value there. It's the same reason like Kareem Hunt is number 27. Maybe I have those two guys in the wrong spot. Maybe I should change Kareem Hunt with James White, move from 27 to 24, 24 to 27. It does feel like Kareem Hunt's going to be involved. Kareem Hunt's going to be on the field. I mean, what are they going to do? Go to Rashad Higgins? I mean, he's essentially, like I said, he's essentially their third wide receiver plus some touches out of the backfield. I would do the same. I have Kareem Hunt in front of James White. I'm going to switch those guys in the rankings. 
thank you for your consultation on that one. Uh, <laughs> Jordan Howard, like, I guess you and I seem to be the only two people who, and it's, I think so. <laughs> It's funny because I don't like Jordan Howard, but I've never liked him. It just he's he's a parasite. If he's on a team, he gets the ball. He's kind of how I feel about David Montgomery in Chicago, but just he's on Miami. Well, I mean that's a really good comparison. The the best comparison I'll make is the one I made it coming out of college. Is he's very much like Tevin Coleman. He's straight line. He's taking what he's given. And that can work, but the problem is you can find 20 other running backs who do the exact same but, thing. But you don't make it. But they found Jordan Howard. <laughs> they did. But at the same time, like the reason people are so down on Jordan Howard are twofold is because that's all he does. And yes, you can, he's irresistibly replaceable, but you have to make it to the NFL and be a running back by having some talent. But the other problem is because all they remember, it's kind of like the Eric Ebron is all you're envisioning in your mind is dropping a ball at the two yard line is about to score, you know, dropping this pass here, dropping this pass there. He doesn't need to be involved in the passing game. He's going to be the lead option in this backfield, probably like a 60, 40 split. And if he does, come out of the first three weeks and averages two and a half yards per carry. Okay. He probably loses his job. No, you see, you say that, that, but it's not like they didn't just keep playing. Like, Oh, you know, who's great. Balage with his 1.1 no, yards Matt per Brita. Let, Let's give, no, no, but I'm saying last year, it's like, you, know, you, oh, you, yeah. you could have turned to anyone else on the roster. But it's like, we're going to keep rolling with Kalen Balage. He's pretty good. Like, Jordan Howard is the perfect guy for the dolphins. Who's like mediocre. And they're like, Oh no, he's good. Don't worry about him. <laughs> Yeah, and look, the Dolphins are actually probably smart, and what they're doing is unlike the Giants who realized in the rebuild, you know, they took Saquon Barkley and wasted some of his best years. They said, you know what, forget it. We we know running backs are going to be there in the next year's draft are terrific. We'll waste one year just rolling out Jordan Howard every single week, but they're rolling him out there in an approved offensive line. Why not? Very quickly, do you have any interest in any Detroit running back? Yes, like a, I do. Is it carry on? No, it's DeAndre Swift, why? 100%. I, I, and I, I have no interest in any of them, so that's why I'm asking. I have ton, tons of interest in DeAndre Swift because DeAndre Swift, on any other team, if he was taken instead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire by the Chiefs, DeAndre Swift is a Tier 1 running back in this draft class. An amazing, amazing, all-around, terrific I mean, top 10 talent in most drafts. As like That's what it thinks. Like, if, if he was in the Barkley draft, he might have gone to the Giants. If he was in the Zeke draft, he might have gone to the yeah, Cowboys. Yeah, but you know where he ended up? In fucking Detroit, the wasteland well, of running backs, where he's going to split time with seven other dudes. But see, And that's where I was going to go with this. Unless, similar to the Doug Peterson thing, is, you know, Matricia didn't trust Carrion Johnson. He's never had somebody like a Swift. Yes, this obviously could be a complete committee between both of them and somebody else sprinkled in on this roster. It might even be Bo Scarborough still on the roster getting all the short yardage work, but that's the bad case. But the thing is, is because of that, because people are so scared of Patricia coming from the Patriots regime is that Swiss price isn't prohibitive to what his upside is. His upside is top 15, but you don't have to pay that. And that's the good thing about it is you, you can take Swift where he is cheaper than Taylor and you're not stuck with the, oh, God, I, I kind of want to start him because of what I paid. Yeah. I mean, Carrion's banged up a lot. He's missed 14 to 32 games in his career. And he's not swift. He's Carrion Johnson. Yeah, but, he, but he's there. That's the thing. Like, Carrion Johnson's also not that good. It, do, it doesn't matter. They keep playing running backs that aren't very good. This has just been the thing <laughs> over and over and over again, that as long as you are healthy and currently on the active roster, you're going to touch the ball. This is what happens with Again. Matt Patricia. It just like and now, I don't want to spend a end of the fourth. Like he's going to the mid fifties, so he's what early fifth round. Give me anyone else. Like if he falls to the I'll, eighth, sure. No, I just took him there in the fifth round recently as my third running. back. And you think that you're gonna beat my team that has Kelsey and Kittle on it? Give your fucking head a shake, pal. 
Yeah, because we got the rest of the draft to talk about. <laughs> no, I mean, I've already built the best team. I have the best players. That's what you do. You draft the good <laughs> players, and you win the leagues. You draft <laughs> okay. these guys. Yeah, I want a guy who gets eight touches a game. He's great. I tell you, the same thing was said about Miles Sanders until last year. If you had yeah, – Or yeah, Doug yeah. Peterson. Doug sure, Peterson. Sure, I'm, but if you drafted Miles Sanders last year, you didn't fucking make the playoffs because he wasn't good until, like, week 12. If you're a patient, if you listen to us, that'd be like you and me and the fantasy community, like the people trying to tell you to be patient on him. You did. You you still needed someone to replace those numbers. He was great if you were still good by week 12, if you were relying on him to be good for your team. I to like be how you keep using Kelsey in that argument where if you just like you, you also said taking Kittle. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like because you, no, 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 iso- you isolate the market. No one else can have. No, but the no one is, else can have a take, good tight end. But again, that's the guy that's in your league drafting five quarterbacks, and everybody's gonna have to come to me for trades, and nobody's gonna have a good. I'm quarterback. not. I'm not. Look, I'm not looking to trade them. I'm looking to play both of them. And I'm, no, but and I'm making you try to compete with my tight ends while you're rolling out like Noah Fant. And I'll happily do it. No, I'm not rolling out Noah Fant, but I'll happily roll out Hayden Hurst and T.J. Hawkinson or one of the what like the Darren Wolves or Mark Andrews of last year. Because here's the thing: stop putting Kelsey in the flex because the argument's about the second tight end. If it's just Kittle with his 100 and what 80 90 points he's like wide receiver 22 and you're talking about taking him at the two three turn but we're talking running backs i don't that's like we should do a tight end show just on those two guys oh we will end up doing the tight end show we just where to draft these two guys anyone else that you think that we should talk about from the back end like if you're late in draft so we kind of talked yes. about, about the top end we've talked about this middle tier of guys but then once you get out of round i don't know round seven or so and then you have these backups, back end of timeshares, these type of guys. Is there anyone that really sticks out to you? As someone yeah. like, hey, uh, Naheem Hines was someone that you brought up, like a 13th round pick. I can get behind that. I think it's a good pick. Yeah, so there's. I'll give you four, okay. and I'll touch on one really super quick. Is uh, If you go to Damian Williams, that just in case Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't even barely step on the field, but like maybe five or six receptions a game at best, or I should say targets, you know, Damian Williams could still work out. So like, I'll throw that out there. It's just because of how cheap he's going. You can almost take both on a lot of teams. And that's you know, a sensible that move. Way. Actually like that would, I, I would almost reach on Damian Williams a little bit. If I had Clyde's Edward Hilaire, it's probably not a statistically smart move, but it would help my peace of mind. Oh, a thousand percent. It would probably like make you feel a lot better about your draft. Uh, I will go to Keyshawn Vaughn and Tampa Bay. He's a rookie. So there's a little concern there, but the good thing about him is that everybody in that backfield he is by far the best pass blocker, and he's next to Tom Brady, who yells at people when they chip a block. So if you're just talking about the opportunity to play alongside Tom Brady in that offense, granted, it could be Ronald Jones. Like, like Ronald Jones could just be LeGarrette Blunt for them and, like, screw the passing game. He just runs for 16 touchdowns. But I will say, like, if there's a chance because of the frustration for how bad that Ronald Jones still is in the passing game, including, including pass blocking, I'm taking a couple flyers on Vaughn, but depending on what your draft is, that same thought process has moved Vaughn off the draft board. So I'll give you the two others that I'm talking about. I have so much of Darius Geis, and the Darius Geis is the patient game. You're not probably going to enjoy the very beginning of the season, but he's going so cheap that it's not even the Miles Sanders. It's the so cheap that he is the one that you just put on your bench, and you're not even trying to buy low because you understand you're going to be patient with him. If Darius Geis gets past the injuries from the first two years, like Leonard Fournette did finally in his third season, He's better than Leonard Fournette, and he should easily lead this backfield from what we saw from Adrian Peterson two years ago got 1,000 yards, like chugging along for 1,000 yards. Darius Geis is an elite talent. Obviously, there's a huge question of how 
much of that percentage. Like, is he 90%? Is he hundred percent? We don't know what he is, but that's why he's worth the risk. And then same team. And I don't want to take two guys out of the same backfield, but the Kelvin Harmon injury and Steven Sims being their number two, Antonio Ganey golden being their number three, potentially who's a rookie and very raw coming out of Liberty. Anthony Gibson, like, I think the Christian McCaffrey stuff is stupid, but Anthony Gibson could work his way into seven, eight, nine touches per week being used both in the backfield and in the passing game. Well, especially now that uh, Antonio Gibson, I said Anthony Gibson, Antonio Gibson. Well, now that Calvin Harmon is out, I think you're just going to see more yeah. and more people end up on the field with him. Do you have any interest in Boston Scott? Yeah. I like Boston Because he's Darren Sproles. Yeah. He's Darren Sproles. Perfect RB3. Theo Riddick, perfect RB3 in a PPR. Like, I think I will end up with more shares on my teams. Like I'm far more likely to draft Boston Scott than I am Miles Sanders at their current positions. Where do you have Scott? I have, I have Boston Scott in a full point PPR. I have him at 34. No, I have him at 52. Should I, I guess I should be moving him up. I have him for 40 receptions. If that's the case, then he's a fringe RB3, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 34. Like, do you want Zach Moss at all? I don't. Only at his price. I was one of the people, and I'm saying this not to be like, look at me, because I could be wrong. Uh, this is a rookie who's never stepped on the NFL field. But I was one of the people that, similar to David Montgomery, I was pushing against this guy. Like, Zach Moss just isn't that good. He's actually, you know, it's something like George, Jordan Howard. It's not that good. He's, he's fine at what he does, and he's a power back. He's like a lesser version of Derrick Henry. But if you're talking about this offense and what they tried to do with Frank Gore, he's stepping into Frank Gore's role and probably is going to have more success than Frank Gore did. Potentially. Um, I mean, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Like, if you think that Zach Moss is going to score a bunch of touchdowns based on the role that he has, then Josh Allen's not a good pick. But if you think that Josh Allen just continues to monopolize the goal line work, then Zach Moss is useless. No, because Josh Allen could do what he did last year in the Frank Gore role. Frank Gore failed at the goal line a couple of times. Yeah, but I mean, Zach, do we think that's a Frank Gore problem, or do we think it's like the Bills' yes. bad offensive line problem? No, I think it's a Frank Gore problem. Okay. Similar, like, you know, watching Frank Gore last year, it's just I, I, super credit to the guy for his career, especially to running back lasting this long and barely ever missing games. But Frank Gore, that like he's toast at this point. Who do you think the best? Watch him go off for 1,000 yards this year. <laughs> he's, no, he's on, on the, the Jets. Jets. Yeah. They, have, yeah. they must have the oldest running backs. If there is a best handcuff who's available. I guess we'll close with this. Like, do you, what's your stance on handcuffs to begin with? I don't mind holding handcuffs. Although Brad, Jeff, and I did talk about this, and I want to get your thoughts on it too. Because of COVID, I think every league should add two roster spots to it. I uh, at least roster spots, IR spots, Something. whatever it might be. Yeah, you definitely need, and the roster, the, the IL spots are, or, yeah, no, that's baseball. I'm just starting to, like, my brain hurts. Um, the IR spots in football, if you want to add two and make them only COVID eligible, that's fine. But yes, there has to be something, given the world, we have to go into this football season and expand rosters one way or another. And I think that actually makes, because of the pandemic, because of the virus going around, we don't know how it's going to be treated, what the rules are going to be. As it pertains to the fantasy football game, I do think that handcuffed running backs have infinitely more value than they do in other years. I think they do. And to go back to your first question about it with handcuffing, I don't actively do it. I build run, running back depth. But if it came down to a tie break, you know, now if we're talking about we're in these drafts and I'm looking at Tony Pollard versus Damian Williams, you know, like, and I have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I'm going to pass on Tony Pollard to get that. If I have 
you know, let's go to like, let's say Josh Kelly is officially the backup to Austin Eckler. And I have Eckler. Like, that's the thing is like, if it's a tie break and I'm in this range, I'll go with the handcuff, but I'm not actively going to reach two rounds. Like you go back to the Madison. I'm not going to reach two rounds just because I have Dalvin cook. I'm not going to put, you know, Deion Lewis into round 10, just because I have Saquon Barkley. So my theory on handcuffs has always been, I rarely handcuff my own players. I tend to handcuff who I think that if the lead running back goes down, that this guy would just basically assume their role. That's I, I think Latavius Murray is the best handcuff in football. I really do. Uh, you, because he's actually better than Elvin Kamara is. If Elvin Kamara gets hurt solely for the purpose that when Kamara is on the high end of the split. He's like an 80% split. But most weeks it's like 68% to Murray's like 22 and then like Zach Line gets a touch or something. But when we've seen it's just Murray there and Kamara's hurt, he gets like 90% of the snaps. Like, he's great. <laughs> it goes back to when Mark Ingram was there. Yeah. I mean, it's really what is it? Yeah, so, like, like if the yeah, other I, guy isn't there, they become so valuable that even if it's only two weeks out of the season that the other guy is hurt and maybe it never happens. But if somehow like you lucked into getting eight weeks at Latavius Murray, like he's a top five running back. If Elvin Kamara doesn't exist. And there's very like Madison would be on that plane. If there's no Delvin cook, I expect Madison to be good. Um, and I can see Tony Pollard being in it, not because of Tony Pollard himself. I actually think that I would have concerns about Tony Pollard touching the ball 20 times per game, but they're running back depth behind him is he might just be forced into 20 touches a game. Yeah, and like and but like with Damian Williams, he's a specific handcuff too. I guess Damian Williams plays into this too. He's just going too highly that I wouldn't like want to go out and get him. But I think there are a few right. handcuffs in general that you don't need to have the starter. And if you do have this expanded bench where you can shift guys around because of COVID problems or maybe even just it's a deeper bench. I think you'd take a shot on some of these guys with gigantic upside if anything was to happen to the starter, whether you have the starter or not. Yeah, and I would look for situations, like I'm looking down my list right now, I would look for ones where it's clear. Like A.J. Dillon versus Damian Harris. I would take A.J. Dillon 10 times out of 10 because Aaron Jones goes down, A.J. Dillon is at least Derrick Henry potentially more. If if Sony Michelle goes down, down, Damian Harris might still never catch the ball in the receiving game because it's James White. Uh, you, you go back to the DeAndre Swift one. Like if you want to say, like if you want to say DeAndre Swift's the guy, Carryon Johnson is the backup handcuff. To your point from before, well, even if Kerry Johnson steps on there, you mentioned it. Kerry Johnson was still splitting touches with other people involved. So I would look for ones where there's more a, a clear path to being the 20 touch per game guy. Yeah, and like who would those guys be? Madison. Yeah. Murray, Murray, we mentioned. Paul, I think AJ Dillon would be. Really, you think AJ Dillon would be? They wouldn't go back to Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams, not Jamal. Could we stop with Jamal Williams? They've been trying to make Jamal. I, well, Williams, that's Jamal the thing. Like, I know that they've they've gone out and replaced him, but he's still there. If something happened to Aaron Jones, they'd probably try to let's make it happen again. Come on, Jamal, get in the game. No, no, that's why they drafted Dillon. That's that's why. Who is I mean, Henry's backup? Day. Oh, um, Darrington Evans. Yeah, like would he? Assume? But he's more of a pass catcher. No, that's I. I wouldn't put him in this list because he's more of a pass. Oh my catcher. god, they have a Senioris Perry on the team. That guy's been around. Oh, Sonoris Perry is yeah. on that team. Wow, he's like their number eight running back. Uh, would Reggie Bonner? You did not make my projections. I projected three hundred and ninety nine people, and he did not make the list. By the way, somebody put in because I did three hundred ninety nine people. Guess who? Three ninety nine was Taiwan Jones, and somebody put in the comments. Taiwan Jones' mom is really thankful that you went three ninety nine. That's good. That's a good comment. I like those comments. Is Reggie Bonifon <laughs> or Miss Scarlet? Yes, the backup. Like, I, like would Bonifon get twenty touches well, a game if McCaffrey goes? No. Down? So, so that's like he's the clear back backup 
but I think this could be very much like the Mike Davises of the world with the bears back when Jordan Howard was the guy, like he's the backup, but he could falter in his own right. And then they try somebody else or like, it just be ugly. And he's just not that good. That's the truth about Bonifon. That's really what it comes down to. All right. So we have those high end handcuffs. Darrell, uh, Daryl Henderson, I guess would be the other guy. Yeah. I think Marlon Mack would get some of the touches still. And uh, or Marlon Mack, Marlon, uh, Malcolm Brown. Marlon, Malcolm Brown. Good grief. There's so many players at this point. Like they're all starting to mix together <laughs> name wise. I'm kind of, I'm and that's the other thing. I'm scrolling through these lists to these teams to see, like if Todd Gurley goes down, I think it's a mix between all of them. Uh, Baltimore Ravens. I'd mentioned Dobbins, but there's no guarantee that Gus Edwards isn't involved again. I think if Singletary goes down, Zach Moss would see a lot. Okay. That'll do it. Pat Mayo experience. No, the Titans are signing Derrick Henry to a long-term deal because it sends the right message to the team, Jake. It sends the right message. That's what some Titans <laughs> beat writer tweeted out. Uh, anyway, all in kid on Twitter. You can check out all of Jake's rankings and projections up at theathletic.com. For me, at the PME, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. My rankings up on dknation.com and in the description of this video and podcast, just like the entire kit to everything. Smash the like button. Tell me my shittiest ranking. That's a fun one. Uh, and five-star review on Pat Mayo Experience Audio Podcast. Give your head a shake if you're not doing that, all right? I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.